Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Zach Kirby. Today on An Actor Despairs, we have actor, bartender, and podcaster Ryan Perez. You know Ryan from a bunch of off-Broadway shit, garbage indie movies you never saw, and maybe some weird NYC sex parties. Here's our conversation. So today I thought I would do something quite different than usual as I tried to avoid talking about myself at all costs and make it about the guest. But a very close friend of mine, in fact, childhood friend, Zach Kirby, had the idea to interview me for the season closer. And I thought it would be a wonderful idea. So thank you for listening. It means a lot. Zach Kirby, how you doing? I'm great, man. I don't know who's the guest, me or you. But uh, I'm super excited to be working with you, man. When I think of, you know, spindly, uh, deranged villains or, you know, asshole frat guys in super low budget movies, you're like at least top 10. So hey, this is a true honor, man. That, that's my brand, baby. You know, <laughs> I think Christopher Walken said it's better to be typecast than not cast. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. I'm really excited to interview one of the most interesting people I know in all seriousness and full disclosure, Ryan and I have been friends for a really long time. We should give context. We've known each other since middle school. Yeah. I've known you longer than I haven't known you. Right, yeah. right, exactly. And I've seen the dedication. I've seen, you know, a lot of the hard work. Ryan, so I was on IMDb today looking for, you know, a long list of credits, some things I'd forgotten about. And uh, what we had in actuality was, and I quote, Ryan Perez is an actor known for Vineland. 2016 a mutual understanding and cut in 2019 <laughs> and yeah that's I'm, it i'm one great credit away from ever having had one great credit <laughs> <laughs> but look to, that bio's weak and this guy doesn't have a weak bio so today in celebration of you know ryan rapping an excellent pod an actor despairs season one um, we're going to get to know Ryan a little bit. We're going to build out that bio for the listeners and, you know, let people know why they should give a fuck about Ryan Perez, because they should. Yeah, you know, I was hesitant to do this for a long time, but as this podcast has garnered kind of uh, traction, I for so long wanted it to have nothing to do with me, but I feel like it, it it's important for people to know why yeah. I do this. I think you're a perfect guest for your own podcast here. <laughs> Ryan, uh, you know, another thing I'm excited about, man, we've known each other for a long time, but I'd like to get to know you better, man. Let's st let's start out from the beginning. Um, can you tell me about your mom and dad? Yeah, my, my parents were divorced when I was, uh, God, I think two. Yeah, and uh, had a lot of custody battles ensued that were not fun. And it was kind of a ping pong thing until I was like 13. And then I went and lived with my dad and then me and my mom, you know, we're, we're great now. And it was, uh, but it was heavy, man. It kind of, it fucked with me not having that stable family. You and your dad have a great relationship. I do yeah, know my, that about my, you. Yeah, my dad oscillates between being my dad and my best friend. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Gotta love that. He would do anything for me. Now, you were born in Richmond, right? Yeah, St. Mary's Hospital. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Yeah. Dude, can you just tell me a little bit about, like, what it's meant to you to grow up in Richmond? You know, for so long... I kind of just felt like I didn't fit in, which I'm sure is such a common phenomena. And I lived in this uh, neighborhood that I just, I, I could never articulate it as a kid, but it, I now as an adult, it was really depressing. And uh, 
I, I lived a very modest life. Like my, my dad and I for going out was Costco, you know, <laughs> like, like weird places like that, you know. So I grew up very humble. But then I moved to a nicer neighborhood. And then it honestly, yeah, it affected me because like I, all of a sudden I loved where I lived and I understood energy and just how that can affect you. You know, living in a shitty area is not great. And then living in a nice one is like, it changes everything. Yeah. And then uh, pretentious, it was like a wealthier neighborhood and, you know, chaos ensued because I had so many house parties. Yeah. And police got involved. And <laughs> yeah, that was not a good way to make friends in that neighborhood. <laughs> I, I, I can relate. And I think it's a distinctly, you know, Richmond experience to know two sides of everything. You kind of, you don't know poverty, but you know, very modest yeah. stuff. And then, yeah, you know, the higher side of it. When I explain Richmond to people that uh, maybe don't have a great idea of it, I just, man, I mean, one thing that I'm always impressed by is just it's super diverse. And, you yeah. know, you can be five minutes down the street and you'll be, you know, in the hood or you'll be you totally know, ar- around mansions. And that's how it is culturally, too, man. And, uh, you know, it's gotten better Certainly, it keeps you know going up in the in the last couple of years, but I feel like it's always been a good place, you know, for the arts because we have so much perspective. And we went to a high school that was majority minority, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, being a white dude was like an odd thing there. You yeah, know? not and not necessarily like uh, if you say that, it sounds like you know it's predominantly black. It was predominantly everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was really an amalgamation of of culture. Yeah. So I mean, with all that diversity in in Richmond, and you know, in the last ten years or so, with this becoming a a, a more vibrant cultural hub i mean what is what has it meant to you in terms of the arts um growing up and being in richmond and having that richmond soul you know this sounds so strange to admit but uh i don't know really how it happened you know i am a hardcore atheist but you know i i at this point i'm not as so staunch about proving people wrong i think whatever makes people happy please do it and when I talk to some friends and some non-friends that are super religious, you know, I talk to them about their spiritual experiences. I can relate on that. At a very young age, I knew that, like, acting was my calling, that I was put on this planet at, like, seven. I knew that. And it's a fucking blessing and a curse to know that, you know, because it's not an easy task, you know, and unless your parents are famous or you, you have all the right connections. It's an arduous business. And even those people that do have all that struggle, I don't think I really found my voice while I was in Richmond. It took me, I've been in New York City 11 years now. And as anyone knows, it's a brutal city. It's a love-hate thing. And it constantly goes back and forth. And then I think I found my voice there. So when you're in New York, are you one of those like, oh, fuck my hometown guys? Or do you have you gained like an appreciation for it since? You no, I've, I've gained so much appreciation. In fact, I, I wish I could come home more. You know, I uh, I work a survival job bartending for Broadway shows and Richmond, you know, in, in the 11 years that I've been gone, it has changed so much. It's like, you know, I spent a lot of time in Austin, Texas, and it kind of reminds me of Austin now. You know, I'm like it. I'm amazed at how much it's changed for the good and for the worse, you know, like there's, there were some kind of edgier elements of Richmond I loved, but you know, it's happy to see my hometown flourish. And I got a lot of hometown pride. I, I, I have a few 
films I'm writing that I plan to shoot here. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah bring it back here, man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, being seven and, and knowing that this is what you wanted to do, acting and just being involved in the arts. What was the first big crowd or the first big role that you had in a production? So I joined this thing called Spark, which is like the School of Performing Arts of Richmond. And it was so culty and <laughs> it was music and dancing and it was like one of those things where like who's whoever's parent donated the most money and like I'm not a singer and I'm not a dancer and I did it for like a year. Major and I was, nerd alert. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> fuck this. And then in middle school I started doing productions and then a member of my drama teacher pulled me aside and was like, You really need to pursue this. And I was like I was I was shocked and Sherry Flournoy is her name, and it really impacted me. And then I uh, I started really pursuing it. I, I was lucky enough to get a local agent through a friend. And I'll never forget the first, the first commercial I got. My agent at the time called me, and <laughs> she was like, hey, I'd been with him like a week. Like, we submitted you for a commercial, and you got it? And it was like, nice choice of inflection. <laughs> really glad to hear you believe in me. <laughs> yeah, it's inspired a lot of confidence. Yeah. I want to I want to say, uh, I know Miss Florino, I happen to, but we all, I mean, most people have that teacher that, um, you know, that inspires them yeah. to uh, bring out the best in them. And uh, even, you know, it can result in a career path. And I just want to shout out all the great teachers 100%. That, that care about kids. Lisa Dyer Brake, Brianne Palhais, uh those are the drama teachers I had, uh, Daniel Spector, Alec Baldwin. I just worked with Kathleen Turner. She was awesome. So those people have had such an impact on me. Yeah. Um, some names in there that you all will recognize and some names in there that you will not. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Uh, you know, I always remember you in every production, you know, everything that came around every season in school, you were... You were right there. The one I remember the most is Death of a Salesman. Yeah, that was the one that kind of changed my, I, I mean, not career-wise, but changed my life. It was a bizarre happenstance. You know, I I like, you know, Arthur Miller's work, but, you know, it's kind of dated and, you know, but people celebrate it. And uh, I had a very odd thing happen to me during an early rehearsal where uh, I got a, you know, back when flip phones were the thing, my phone kept buzzing. And my drama teacher, Lisa Dyer Break, was like, Ryan, don't answer. And then I got enough phone calls to the point where it was like, it was a concern. You know, I was like, I knew there was something up. And uh, I got a phone call. Somehow the police called me that my friend died. And so I had to go to the parents' house and tell them that their son is dead. And it was it was horrible. It was my first experience with death. And then, you know, there's very few few memories in my life that I wish I could erase but that moment it was just so brutal and then you know that's like the fucked up part of acting is I was able to use all of that for Willie Loman you know the despair and wanting and then for somehow being a 16 year old playing a 55 year old character it worked yeah. and and I like the principal of the school I guess she studied at Virginia Tech and like focused her dissertation on Arthur Miller and was like, that was the best thing I'd ever seen. And 
I walked to school for years and, you know, I was like the, you know, you were the star basketball player. And then I was like, became the star drama student. You yeah, know? I was yeah. going to say, man, in in my perception of your pursuit of acting, that, well, that was something to me where, you know, when your boys are doing something, the inclination is always to clown a little bit or whatever, you know. And uh, I remember going to that and being like, oh, shit. And I think that was the first time that my parents were like, yeah, you need to pursue this. Yeah, and, yeah. And what's crazy is I totally forgot that that was around the time frame of uh, of Oscar's passing. Yeah. Um, and that makes total sense that you could channel all that pain and, and whatnot. But yeah. um, I, w- I want to tell your listeners, Ryan has a hidden talent that you may not know about. He is uh, a musician as well, and oh god, was a, <laughs> was a part of a, a very successful uh, garage band in the mid two thousands. Called through the rear view and uh this person that we're talking about his name was oscar martinez uh great guy used to light up the room uh just all positivity yeah and uh he was in the band as well that was a tough one for everybody but i, I especially remember it being super tough for the guys in that band yeah and uh man just to swing it positively, man, that show y'all had right after he died. Yeah, the tribute show. Was, I'm not, I'm by no means a... It was an, down the street at Alley Cats. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm by no means an expert on any type of rock music, but that was... Yeah, I'll that never was forget lit, that moment. Dude. <laughs> and then I lit. quit the band right after. <laughs> hey, man, you got you, yeah. uh, you got the best one I, I have no sense of timing, man, for me to say I'm a musician. I'm awful, dude. I think even my music teacher is like... If you would have practiced more, you could have been great. And I'm like, I just, I didn't want it. You know what I mean? I didn't want it in the way I wanted acting. And like the the immense patience it requires to sit there and play scales. And I, I would just be rage filled. Hey, shout out to all the musicians out there. It's so much harder than acting. <laughs> and speaking of real musicians, man, I, you know, and you've touched on it here a little bit, but I'm, you know, I'm just wondering you know, how Oscar's memory, you know, still sits with you today and how that impacts you. You know, honestly, uh, this is shameful to admit. I, I kind of forgot about it. And then the other day, his mother requested me on, on Facebook and uh, it was the anniversary of his death. And uh, it brought back a lot of emotions and he was a great guy. And I remember the, one of the last experiences I had with him was playing a game of pool. And he was like, dude, I really believe in you. You're going to do this. And that's like the last memory I have. You know, as you get older, you kind of odd stories about high school and experiences. I just don't remember anymore. You know, yeah, we're getting old now. You know what I mean? And, and that's that touched my heart, you know, and uh, it was a really hard one. Yeah, it was so hard. Yeah, I mean, he was a go for it guy. And I've always thought that you've upheld his uh, his friendship by also being a go for it guy, man. Yeah. But yes, you know, speaking of going for it, you know, when you're a high school senior, everybody's excited about applying to uh, to colleges and whatnot. What uh, what made you choose NYU? I, I got straight A's in high school because my dad told me at one point, he's like, you're going to fuck this up because I was hanging with the wrong crowd and drinking and partying way too much, which started a, a trend in life that uh, <laughs> took roots in alcoholism. And uh, then I... Um, I applied to UCLA, USC, and NYU, and UCLA was my dream school. They invited me to Scholar Day, and I was like, I, both my parents were so proud they came with me, and that's a rarity for divorced parents. 
and we sat there in the meeting, and it was about how being Hispanic can be so hard at UCLA, and they wanted us to take some bullshit summer course to assimilate. I was there for five minutes before I was like, we're out of here. I'm not going to this fucking college. Yeah. And so we went to this, my favorite theater in the world, the Arclight and saw a movie called forgetting Sarah Marshall. And NYU was like, not on my list. I I was like, I don't want to go to New York city. I had already signed to go to UCLA at this point. Yeah. You went to film camp. Yeah. Yeah. And I already had like 20 credits there. Like I could have graduated a year early and I remember looking up Kristen Bell after that she went to NYU. And you know what? I was like, fuck it. I'm going to risk it. And I'm going to do the thing that isn't, is the thing that I would never do. And for better and worse, I, I, I uh, went to NYU and the, the last day that you can choose, which I think is May 1st, I think. And I decided. And so were you in their theater program? I was. Was it a good experience? It was awful. It was a. Uh, it was chaos. It was so bad. In fact, I dropped out after two years. I was at a studio called Stras- Lee Strasberg, which is very historic. But I think they were at a really troubling time. They had, a lot of the faculty that had studied under Lee was gone, and it was really misrun. It was like so misrun that during my freshman year, NYU announced they were dropping it, but we could still continue. And I had another friend die my freshman year, uh, Hadley West. And I had so much acne and (laughs) I was so depressed from his death. I couldn't take Accutane, which I've taken like 24 times. So no dermatologist would give it to me. So I was just so depressed. I hated 90% of the people that in my studio. In fact, one of the only friends in that studio is an actress who's doing really well now named Rachel Brosnahan. And uh, other than that, I pretty much hated everyone. And I, it was really hard to make friends because, you know, there's no campus, there's no, like, any of that. And I was pretty lonely. I spent most of my time watching The Wire and Lost and kind of hiding in my room, you know. And then I dropped out, and I I got a really rare chance. My friend Andrew McMahon offered me to go on the road, and I went on the road with them for two years. And you're referring to Jack's Mannequin. Jack's Mannequin, yeah. Yeah, shout out Jack's Mannequin. Yeah, shout out. That was... Had some good times on their dime before, man. Oh, man. I mean... They don't know me from anything, but boy. Oh, they they <laughs> like to party. A- Andrew's one of the best guys. He's been uh, he's been a brother to me, but so have all the guys, Bobby, Jay, Mikey, John, at, when he was in the band. And I think that was really when I started to find my voice. You know, I was a merch guy and traveling around, you know, I've been to every state except Alaska and Hawaii and having to try to sell merchandise to... People that are very, very different from what I'm used to kind of force me to find my voice and how to engage with people. Because you knew me in high school. I don't want to say I was shy, but I wasn't like, you know, a confident guy, you know. And then I think that really helped me find my confidence. And the band broke up and I got a job opening boxes at the Apple store. And I was like, I'm going to kill myself, you know. And uh I reapplied because I'd been out of school for so long. I reapplied to NYU and I got in and got serious about it. Nice, man. So you do have an NYU degree. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say I misspoke and I thought you did. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. I dropped out for three years and then I had to reapply and then I did graduate. Although I owe them like $400 or something. You know, you dropped out of NYU, um, ended up coming back to them. But obviously in that time you, uh, you fell in love with New York. Yeah, I did. And I 
I got a girlfriend and we got we did the move in thing and and life was at that point I was on cloud nine. It was the happiest I'd ever been. You know, I had this girl that I was in love with and like you know, like that first love, it's so intense, you know, and school was good and this time NYU I had tons of friends. I was really applying myself and that's kind of when my drinking started really escalating because I, you know, I didn't do anything my first two years. And then all of a sudden I had tons of friends and we went to parties and bars and, and Adderall. And, you know, it was just, uh, it was wild, but it was a lot of fun. What I wanted to know, cause, uh, you, you reference it, uh, you know, in your social media and on, uh, and on the pod in in more, you know, subtle ways, but, uh, you did have an addiction problem. I still do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it doesn't, yeah. doesn't go away. Yeah. A minute ago, you were saying, you know, I wasn't like a shy person, but I wasn't confident. Uh, to me, man, you've always suffered from like an anxiety. 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're uh, like restless and um, and like not nervous in the sense that you don't think that you can execute stuff. Yeah. But just like wired that way. 100%. So what I was wondering is, you know, before you got into full-blown alcoholism or cocaine yeah. or whatever the, the problem was, did you know that you were prone to that? You know, I think it's one of those things where I think an F. Scott Fitzgerald quote sums it up quite well. It's like, first you take a drink, then the drink takes a drink, then the drink takes you. And... You know, it kind of segued at first. It was like, yeah, I was having fun. And then I was overdoing it and I was blacking out. And then it got to a point where I was like drinking in the morning. And I could tell you every bar in New York City that opened at 6 a.m. And it was just like finding those ways to kill the two hours between 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. And I got into like douchebag club promoting. And when you, you know, get a bottle of vodka you don't know how much you're drinking because you're just pouring, you know, and they keep sending it. And I was out of my mind, man. And I, I wasn't focusing on my acting career and I had tons of interventions. And then finally, I just one day I, I had a three week bender where I almost died. And in London, sadly, I didn't even leave my hotel room. And uh, at that point, I just, I knew, you know, I, I saw myself outside of myself and I couldn't stop drinking. And uh, I called someone in AA New York and they were like, give me five seconds. Got me in contact with someone in London and they were like, where are you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm at my hotel, I'm drinking. And they're like, that's okay. Um, can you meet me here? And I was like, I'm fucking wasted. I have no idea how I'll get there. And they came to my hotel and they took me to the meeting. And then I was like a total asshole in the middle of the meeting. I was like, I need a drink. And I made them take me to the liquor store. This is just horrible to admit. I would have kept drinking, but then I went into to withdrawal. I was bleeding and, and I had that del delirium tremens. And my parents were obviously furious with me. And uh, the whole world was. And then at that point, I was just like, Nothing's going to happen in my life if I keep this up. Yeah. And anytime I tried to like do the casual drinking, it always eventually escalated. So you had to cut out the casual drinking too. Yeah, I just couldn't do it. I mean, are you sober now? Uh, if I make it, December 3rd will be three years. Wow, man. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, obviously some of this darkness uh, was overlapping with, 
you know, uh, a breakup, which can be consuming. I know you were having a rough time. And uh, I think I called you like 40 times <laughs> every day. <laughs> I was just blowing through my phone book, man. I was like, I was on tons of Adderall wasted, like just calling anyone to, <laughs> to have them tell me the answer to feel not so sad. I was happy to focus on someone else's problems rather than my Oh, own. dude, you're, you were an angel. You really uh, helped me. But look, man, I mean, while all this is going on and, and you're trying to finish school too, that, that has to be stated. But Oh, dude, I... I uh, uh, yeah, man, I, I was doing cocaine and drinking in classes, and uh, I, I got put in a psych ward for three hours, which was a fucking experience, to say the least. But I was taking so much Adderall, and I was drinking, and I was so sad. I should have dropped out, honestly, that semester, or taken a semester off. I actually didn't even know I graduated until my graduation <laughs> when, they sh- when they said my name, because I, I, there were so many classes I just didn't show up to because I was too wasted. And then it got to a point where I just started drinking in class and professors had interventions and I was like, you guys are pussies. And it's so sad. It's so that, that it's crazy. You're thinking on, on drugs, like in alcohol, like that. My perception of, of reality was so skewed. And it's not over. It'll never be over. But you've gone three years without a drink. You got your degree from NYU. But what we're, the happy ending that we're still waiting on is Ryan in big roles. So what do you, you know, and this might be a tough question, but, you know, that, that time with, with all that, uh, that darkness and despair, how much do you think you lost out on your, uh, on your pursuit? A hundred percent. I had a lot of opportunities that were thrown my way. Like a manager contacted me and I was like, I want to rep you who is now is like a really big manager. And I was like, oh, whatever. And there were other things casting wise and other agents that wanted me, and I just didn't, I cared more about like the party, you know. Yeah. And then, sure enough, like after I got sober, I contacted them, and they were pretty much like, "Go fuck yourself." Yeah. <laughs> so it took me, God, like four years to get an agent. Yeah. Well, it, I'm sure you know it happened for a reason, and it'll it'll make you a better a better. A- yeah. A- there's a lot, there's a lot to draw from. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah you gotta you have a a wealth of that that pain to uh t- to you know go to when you inevitably get cast as some miserable person in yeah in a uh high drama film <laughs> but uh look man you know it wasn't all lows and l- when you got uh sober too you know what what were some of the what was some of the work you got in New York City over the last you know 10 years let's let's get this IMDb uh Let's get these credits up, man. So right after getting sober, I knew I needed to do a project to keep sober. And so I contacted some friends that were in the Alec Baldwin class with me, uh, George Carpenter and Laura Piccoli. I love you, Laura. And I was like, I just want to do a play. We'll, we'll like, we'll fund it ourselves. Like, I just want to have fun again. I'm tired of going to these, like, what's called, like, pay-for-play seminars where you meet with managers, and they're like, yeah, tell me when you're in something. And I'm like, well, that's your fucking job. <laughs> and so I did the play, and it lit a fire under my ass, and Alec Baldwin was cool enough to come. And I'll never forget that. It was, it was in the 30-person black box theater, and Rachel Brosnan came too, and and I got that one, and I had so much fun. Immediately, I got my next one, which was by a guest on the podcast named John Polono, who I love. He's like one of the best writers. He's about to be 
so massive and he's the greatest guy and he was cool enough to let me do it and I did that one last summer and that was incredible and then now I've just been getting kind of a a lot of like NYU MFA short offers which are a lot of those credits and uh, now I've finally been auditioning for some pretty big things. Excellent, man. And getting close. And you've been helping me. You've been my 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 tape guy. You've saved me because I'm in Richmond right now. And in New York, I have my guy. But, dude, you, you've been amazing. And we're, we're making it work. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to we're, – we're bringing we're – we're trying to make Richmond the entertainment capital of the world. Hey, it's getting there. Or at least the entertainment capital of Central Virginia. How about <laughs> we start small? Yeah. Dude, I – you know, I am a big fan of your podcast. Super honored that you gave me this platform let me take over for today it's awesome uh this first season i was most excited about uh see just for for some context for you guys i'm like the hip-hop version of ryan um (laughs) and you know that that's my that's my world and i'm uh i guess i'm just as despaired but uh but yeah man leon was in above the rim cool runnings all these classic movies And I was like hyped to see you with him. And then I've seen you with Dean Winters before. It seems like you guys are friends. Yeah, Dean's the man. And yeah. so like those guys have not not star power, but they have recon- recognizability and the Stuart Little kid and all that. Well, I got to tell you, there's like you know, there's a really cool New York circle of actors that have let me in. It was like Dean Winters, Leon Robinson, Fisher Stevens, Tom Fontana, who wrote Oz and now has City on a Hill. And those guys are so fucking cool. And I, I, I'll i say this now because I think people are very confused. I don't pay my guests, you know. And they made time to do it. I'll, I'll, like the debt that I owe the world and I owe them is is endless. And they, they were so kind and were so giving. And they're the greatest guys. And I, I still hang out with Leon all the time. Actually, I, I, I just had a day with my dad. We had like lunch and Lunch with Leon? Yeah, and we hung out for like four hours. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I love Leon. And everyone, go listen to Leon and the Peoples. I think on their website, they're playing a lot of shows. Leon, is the he's a legend, and he's so fucking talented. That's awesome, man. But yeah, man, I was hyped for the guys who are, you know, more recognizable. But what I, you know, in in listening to the season, uh, you know, some of the moments that really stood out to me was – capturing really the essence of the title of the podcast where behind the scenes you know there there's not as much there's not as much glory you don't know these guys as well and it was awesome to uh to to hear the frustrations and the things that you all could relate on but also getting to know these guys you know tom fontana everybody loves oz but does anybody know his name really you know yeah and and if you're a fan of that show then you got an in-depth and that's hbo's first ever original content like that Honestly, when I was talking with Tom, I was like shaking. I was so nervous because it was like it was like getting a chance to talk to William Shakespeare because like he invented modern television. <laughs> I'm not trying to talk shit, but people are praising shows like Euphoria, and I'm like, man, Oz was doing that in like 1998. Yeah, you know, like, and I I remember being eight years old watching that show. Yeah, I'm born in 1990. So captured by like the talent of the acting and the darkness and. It just seems it just it it had such an impression on me. Whenever guys were were talking about their come ups, your understanding of that being on just like a meta level um, really amplified. And while they have the the perspective of having made it, quote unquote, 
um, you don't have that yet. And it's really interesting to be talk, you know, to hear you talking to those guys and they're on the mountaintop and you're trying to get there. It's a really fascinating dynamic. Um, I just want to say my favorite part, and I wasn't expecting it, that was the Fisher Stevens interview. And, um, you know, I definitely enjoy all the Hollywood hustle talk. Yeah. But you guys got into a conversation about Donald Trump. And we don't have to get into a conversation about Donald Trump. But at some point, he said something like, I'm I'm appreciative that Donald Trump has made me think about what it means to be black in America, because I had no understanding of that. And then he went on to show that he's not just because sometimes with the whole, you know, Me Too and and, you know, Black Lives Matter and, and everything that's going on in our in our society it's like this surface level, you know, uh, just throw up a hashtag just so you can uh, check off PC on, on your list. Yeah. But this guy was really showing that he's not just trying to check it off the list, man. He's trying to really live it. Yeah. And hi- him and Leo are deep. I, I, uh, I think <laughs> I think they have something in the works. Breaking. Yeah. It- uh, what was what was your favorite uh, your favorite moment from this first season? Oh man, it, it's hard to pick. That's like being asked to choose your favorite song. I'll, I'll, I'll essentially explain. I've been pursuing acting for since I've been twelve, but s- seriously, since I got sober three years. And for so long, when I would like, you know, something wouldn't go my way in audition, or a manager told me to fuck off, I would just research actors that I loved. You know, not like obviously I love Brad Pitt, but more what I call. The working class actor, like they work all the time, but if they went to Seven Eleven, they're not gonna. There's not gonna be paparazzi, and I would just go on YouTube and and Google and Wikipedia and just like read everything I could. Like, how did they do it? How did these guys get it? And then I was like, for so long, I was like, maybe I should do a podcast where I interview these people. And I was just kind of like really lazy. And then last year it was my New Year's resolution. I did my first episode January 1st with my best friend, Denzel Whitaker, and somehow in six months, it kind of just took a life of its own, and I started getting people that I thought would take me years to get. And it's amazing, you know, how many actors are willing to give back to, you know, the people that are pursuing the journey, because they remember what it's like. Yeah, this guy is fully committed to acting. Testament number one is the fact that he doesn't want to just quit everything and be a super successful podcast host because you're really good at it, man. And I'm not just saying that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, you got the perspective. This for is it. a way to stay. Uh, you know, when I when I audition and I don't get it, this is a way to stay inspired. I don't know if you know I'll do a second season. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. We'll see how it goes. You know, because I'm. I'm maxing out credit cards like this isn't <laughs> I'm making no money on this thing and it's a labor of love and and I've gotten a lot of really positive feedback and how many people it's like inspired but uh yeah I'm I'm happy to do it. It's my not that I'm Brad Pitt but it's my way of giving back information that I wish I would have known sooner. Yeah man, it's awesome. And thanks for giving it to us man cuz this is perspective and this is stories that you know we probably wouldn't have gotten otherwise. You're really diving into it with these people. So I'm just curious, man. I want you to rank your actors that have played the Joker and their performances of the Joker. I mean, I think Joaquin just 
Is he number one? Hands down, yeah. You think he's he he bested? Uh, you he, know, it's hard to compare. I don't I don't want to belittle Heath. Heath was obviously amazing, but they're such different worlds. But I thought on a human to human level, I just Arthur Fleck. I I saw that journey, and you know that's it's a really tough thing. You know, both as an actor and a director to get people to root for someone doing awful things, but. You know that whole film, I I sympathized with him, and I and I was kind of like, yeah, kill that guy, you know. I think it's like a little unfair because he really got a nice alley oop. I mean, everything was set up tonally, everything was set up, you know, with the story for him to really, you know, knock it out of the park. How big of a nerd I am! I got a hot tip about where they were filming not far from my house, and I went and I sat there and I watched for two hours and just watched Joaquin do it and that was how small of a budget they had they had no security like todd phillips was standing right next to me and it was amazing and i i knew i i wanted to do that because obviously i'm not belittling heaths Heath was outstanding but i knew joaquin was going to hit a home run and i just wanted to experience it yeah when you put up that uh that picture of him in the phone booth i don't even think the trailer hadn't come out yeah, and I immediately knew from the picture. I was like, "Oh shit, we're gonna get like a a grainy Joker origin film," and I am hyped. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I got I have Joaquin as number one. You know, God bless. He's like he, Joaquin Phoenix, Shea Wiggum, Sam Rockwell, Benicio del Toro. Shout out Shea Wiggum. Yeah, it's there's my brother. Epi- yeah, there's an episode of An Actor Despairs with Shea Wiggum. Good get. I'm flatlining here on other names, but. Casey Affleck, like those are the guys that are in Chris Bauer, uh, Publish Schreiber, you know, James Badgedale. Those those are the guys that are doing the work that I wanted to do. Rest in peace, Heath. But we got Joaquin number one. We got Heath, Heath two. two. I guess we'll go Jack Jack Nicholas three, right? Uh, or, I actually think a Cesar Romero would be three. Oh, look yeah. at you. You're busting out the old stuff. Yeah, man. yeah. All right, well, where's Mark Hamill then? I, you know, honestly, I'd probably place him in there, but I've not seen, I don't love he animation, does like the anime, yeah, but I yeah. hear he's incredible. Yeah. Now, what I wanted to ask you is you, you're boys with Jared Leto. We're acquaintances. Yeah. Would you tell him that Joaquin is, is your number one spot? If he was in the room right now, would you have the balls to put him number, I guess we've got him number five or six or whatever we had. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was it was awful. <laughs> yeah, I read he he tried to get the film stopped, and yeah, you know, I mean, that's the the beauty of acting is like you got to fall on your face at times, and you take risks, and sometimes they don't work out, and he made a really loud choice, <laughs> and I just think that whole film was a mess, <laughs> and that and that can often happen with studio movies, you know. Man, and, and, you know, to bring it around a little bit back to you, one thing that I've noticed about you over the years and your growth is, aside from everything else, aside from becoming, you know, on the cusp of, you know, making some big splashes in acting and executing a great podcast, you have always been and continue to become even more of an entertainment connoisseur. I mean, you're basically like an expert at this point, you know? Well, I try to watch everything I can because, like, how can you, how can you be proficient at anything unless you're you're watching everything? Obviously, like watching great content is inspiring, but there's a lot to be learned from shitty material and and traps, and so I try to watch everything. 
in that vein, you know, we've been having some conversations and I just wanted to bring it up now. You know, you've been doing this long enough and I can relate too because I've been making hip hop music, rap. I don't like to label my stuff, but I've been yeah, making. Would, do a quick drop of where people could check out your stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm into the like independent. Uh, I'm not really messing with YouTube. I'm on there and everything, but really I'd appreciate if people went to itscurbs.com. All right. Yeah, itscurbs.com. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. Need to need to do better with keeping up with that, um, but you know it's my musings. There's like 30 songs on there. It'll give you a, a good idea of who I am. We've been in entertainment. How yeah. about that for so long that we were coming up in a time taking it seriously. Yeah. Uh, when it was a little bit more about you know your chops yeah. and and stuff like Merit. yeah, and you like you approached your acting career. The same way that you know, someone, I went to drama school. Someone would have, yeah. someone would attack a career in the medical field. Yeah, you were like, I got to go get these credentials and build my resume. Totally. But now we've done it up until the present, and our present society is very heavy on the on the viral social media front. It's awful, and uh, <laughs> the 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 prevalence of of social media, the the positives of it to me. Are that artists, you know, they have full control. Yeah. There's immediacy. Yeah. Like as soon as you create it, you can put it out. There's a positive way to spin it that we're hearing a lot more great voices. Yeah. But there's the the other side of that. Yeah. Where you have now given license to anyone to put out any kind of trash and it's up to the consumer to sift through it and find what's good. Six-year-old videos are getting development deals at, like, CAA. It's crazy because, like, CAA sees they got four million followers. So they're like, well, let's get them their own show. And eventually it's all going to implode on itself because... Now, it, what it what it was before is something that I call... I don't know if it's an academic term or anything, but I call it gatekeeper culture. Gatekeeper culture. But for music, you know, you had, like, A&Rs that were out scouting the field, you know, to find to find talent. And yeah. then they develop you. Yeah. And then, you know, and there was a, a very concrete path to it. Yeah. And the disadvantages, the negative side of, of that model of entertainment was that, you know, some people that should have got through the gate didn't get through. And yeah. for bad reasons, like, you know, your creed race uh, or what you were talking about, people weren't ready for it. That's all negative. Yeah. But the positive of it was that it did weed out the people who weren't qualified. Yeah. And, you know, uh, put emphasis on really like classical training or really putting in your dues with the sweat. Yeah. I thought that this podcast for you was a great move towards like, I'm going to make my own opportunity. Man, I just kind of missed the days when there wasn't like a million things out. When you went to the movie, it, it meant more. Yeah. When you went and bought the album, it meant more because there wasn't a zillion things yeah. right on your phone. You had to work for it. I know. Yeah. It, yeah. We're living in the Matrix. Do you think it'll come back around? Never. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think people are too used to the convenience of it. It's only going to get worse. And people love to hear themselves. And now everybody has the, the, the means yeah. to, uh, to think that they are an actor and a musician or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. A model. <laughs> totally. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, before we close out, uh, you know, what's on the horizon here for you? I'm auditioning a lot. Oh, God, man, I had, I mean, talk about despair. Uh, this one office who's been great to me. I don't, I don't want to name them though. 
had 15 auditions from them in six weeks, got pinned for one role and nothing, man. And it's just, uh, you know, part of this journey, man, is just uh, keeping your head in, you know, you ne- you never know when it's going to hit. I've, I've seen so many friends it's hit so easily for, and then other people waited years and, and by hitting, I don't, I don't mean to become Brad Pitt. Like, you know, I spoke about this with Kathleen Turner like the goal at the end of the day is just to be able to to survive on acting. You know what I mean? And if you're lucky enough to get to that level, amazing. If you're not, that's that's part of the game, you know, but I'm I'm positive and optimistic and I'm I'm trying to get to now that I've had a lot of really cool guests on the show, they're very interested in in what I'm creating and I think I need to strategically light the fire under my ass and, and write more you're building even more relationships and yeah it's, it's something's gonna break man yeah and I, you know i was gonna say other than this just being an awesome pod and having some really great moments and really excellent opportunities to get to know some of these guys better other than that man there's a continuing narrative a story that we can all follow of you even if it ends poorly it's still going to be entertaining, oh, man. God. You're yeah. you're, you're kind of making you're you're kind of making a step here towards making your life a little bit of the art. I'm in this thing for life, and I don't know when, but I, it'll happen. You know what I mean? Like, and that sounds delusional, and it is. And you have to have that, you know. Yeah, man. Well, I just want to thank you one more time. I really appreciate you, you being able to uh, give me, you know, let me take over the pod for a day. This has been awesome. And it's been really great, not just to get to know my friend better, but to get to know an upcoming actor and a great podcast host, uh, you know, even better than we did before, man. So thank you so much. Zach Kirby, I love you, brother. Love you too, man. All right. Thanks so much. Yeah, bro. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.